the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Today I want us to take a look at Psalm 19, the 19th Psalm. Uh, And I want to title this, God's Love. And you know, in Psalm 18, let me grab my Bible here. Uh, In Psalm 18, the very first verse, it starts off with, I love you, O Lord, my strength. So here's a, a psalm about, you know, David's love, I think, is this David's? Yep, Uh, David's love for the Lord. You know, Psalm 19 is God's love for us. I just think that's neat. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Good good, uh, work there with with the scriptures of putting those two psalms next to one another. You know, before we get going, have you, have you ever seen the show, Ripley's Believe It or Not? I, I used to love that show as a kid. There was an episode once where they said, uh, uh, you know, the lo- they were talking about the longest love letter ever written. was written by a Frenchman, of course, 1875. It was in Paris, France. And his letter contained three, uh, a, the three-word French phrase. I'm not going to even try to pronounce the phrase. But in essence, it means, I love you. Longest letter, love letter ever written, right? I love you. Well, it's how many times he wrote, I love you. It wasn't written down just one time, but 1,875,000 times. And he didn't even write the letter. He hired a scribe. You know, someone with really good penmanship. And he dictated the message, word for word, all of it, over and over again. And then he had the scribe read it back to him. And one fella, reflecting on this, said, Never was love made manifest by as great an expenditure of time or effort. Well, another person observed... That's ridiculous. How loving is it to just write the same thing a million times? I agree with that. Did he really love that girl? I guess so. Sure. But just writing it that many times? Well, I don't know. But that is how some people think. Now, in contrast to that, when God showed his love for David... David realized that God did far more than write down, I love you, a million times. In Psalm 19, David tells us how God showed his love. And he starts off like this in the first two verses. 
The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, David looked up in the heavens, and he saw God's love filling the night sky. Abraham Lincoln once said, I never behold the stars that I do not feel I am looking in the face of God. In our culture, where we spend so much time inside, we rarely get to experience the majesty of a starry heaven like David did. But when we do, sometimes it's overwhelming. About a week ago, I was up at the Copper Basin Bible Camp. You remember me talking about this last week? And up there, you know, when there's no lights of the city, I was able to look up into the starry night, and it was just beautiful. I mean, you can you can see the galaxy, you know, the the stream galaxy. I don't know what you call it, but it just looks amazing. It's so awesome. I just stood there staring until my neck hurt. I was like, oh, I gotta stop. I wish I, I didn't just get my bag and lay down under the stars. It's beautiful. In one of uh, David's Psalms, in Psalm 8, uh, 8, he said this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? The heavens are so imposing that David wondered why God even gave him a second thought. But God did give David a second thought. And David knew it. That's why he tried so hard to be a man after God's own heart. But if he'd only known how much God did for us in the heavens, David would have written far more of his psalm. Because, you see, the heavens might be pretty, but they're more than just a pretty face, right? Right, that's true. Over the centuries... Stars have served as a way to measure seasons, a, a fact taught us in, in the first chapter of Genesis. From the structures of the Aztecs to the, those of the Egyptians, maybe even possibly the Stonehenge, the ancients used the stars to chart and determine the best times to plant and harvest their crops. Stars were also used by sailors to find their way across uncharted oceans. Many of the planets, a few of which were mistaken for stars, have served as a protective shield to deflect meteors and asteroids and other space debris from our Earth. Right now, my son Josh is studying about the planets in space in, in school. He's in kindergarten. And he knows all the planets now. And it's, it's cute watching him tell his uh, younger siblings all about it. He had this book. He goes and he's telling them about, about each planet. And when he gets to the very last one, he goes, and guess what? Nope, that's it. No Pluto. Pluto's, Pluto's not a planet. <laughs> it's just really fun. I wish I had that recorded for... I could watch that over and over again, but oh well. But he loves it. He loves it. He's, he's enamored by the fact that these planets are out there in the sky. And so now we need to get a telescope so he can look up and see these things. Uh, something i got to get done. More stuff to buy. But I'm willing to do it because he loves it so much. And of course there's also... The, the closest star in our universe, the sun. One scientist marveled, and he said, in many ways the sun is just an ordinary star, but in other ways it is clear that the sun was designed for life to be possible on Earth. 
The sun's temperature and its distance from Earth is perfectly ideal for life. If it were closer or hotter, life would be burned away. If it were further away or colder, then the Earth would just be too cold to sustain life. In addition, there are scientists out there who mock our sun because it's smaller and weaker than most of the more impressive stars in the universe. But those bigger, hotter stars would produce huge amounts of harmful radiation, and they tend to fling devastating flares far out into their solar systems, and those things would just incinerate any life on our planet. Not to mention what they would do to our cell phone service. It would be gone, right? No more cell phones. Our star was designed by God to make life possible 100%. Back in 1968, there was an astronaut named Bill Anders, and he had the, uh, was one of those guys who got to fly up over the Earth, up in space. That just would be amazing to me. And he said the only color we could see in the universe was the Earth. That's it. The starry heavens are more than just another pretty face. They're a declaration that God loves us and that he has made a beautiful planet for us to live on. He cares for us. He made all this for us. It's his way of saying, I love you. I want to give you these things. Take care of it. Look, with my kids, he's a... I love my kids, so I want to give them things. I want to get Josh that telescope, but I want to give it to him, but he has to use it in the right way. He can't use a telescope as a sword. He can't use it as a, pretend it's a horse or a bazooka. I would make me upset. I'd take it away. The Lord gave us the earth, but he intends us to use it properly in a way that glorifies him, right? We need to think about those sort of things. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says this. Paul writes, writes this. That which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. You see, that's, that's what David saw. When David looked up into the heavens, he saw a God who was not only powerful, but a God who also loved him enough to show him the beauty of his creation. Now, David didn't stop there. While the heavens may declare God's majesty and power, God's written word reveals what God really thinks about us. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7, uh, 7 to 10, reads like this. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, 
Bear in mind that uh, David's Bible was much smaller than ours. He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have uh, the prophets, you know, the minor, the major and minor prophets that we have. Those came later. Um, of course, he's currently writing many of the Psalms. Uh, Proverbs uh, hasn't been all completely put together yet, mostly written by Solomon, his son, future son at, at this point. And, and many other things. He doesn't have all this stuff that we have. He just has a few of the books, and of course, mainly the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I think that's what he's talking about in these verses. You see there, he's talking about the law being perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true, more desirable than gold, and sweeter than honey. Now, I like the book of Genesis. It's got some neat stories, but that's fun to read. Exodus, okay. Got some, some dry spots, but it's good. But once you start getting to Leviticus, and and the law and garments and then the genealogies and oh man you know what I mean and they kind of sometimes get kind of boring do you ever feel that way it's not it's really not when you really know what's going on there you know there has been a heresy lurking around for centuries that said the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New. The God of the Old Testament was mean, harsh, spiteful, but the God of the New Testament was loving and forgiving. But that's not true. It's the same God. But I can see where someone might get that impression. The Old Testament does talk a lot about right and wrong, good and evil, sin and morality. And of course, it talks a lot about judgment, condemnation, and wickedness. There are folks who read the Bible and they struggle with God being, and they, they think so judgmental. But if you read and studied it, you'd know that, man, the God of the Old Testament was patient, so patient and loving. He tried, tried, did everything he could do and some to get people to come back with him and be righteous. That's what he, he desired so much. Even with uh, Ahab. Remember Ahab and Jezebel, the king Ahab? He, they, they were so evil. Killing the prophets of God. And killing so many people. It's just evil people. All around. And God worked with Ahab where he was at. Tried and over and over. And at one point, halfway through everything, he even, hey look, let me give you some prophecy. Let me help you win some battles. That way you may come to me. And even that didn't do it. He still would turn away from the Lord. But over and over again, God gave him chances. So many. Until he finally, his cup, the cup had been full, or gotten too full. And it was over with for Ahab. God of the Old Testament, very loving, very patient. But he's not the kind of God that some people think of as being the spiteful, evil God of the Old Testament. That's not the way David saw it. David saw a God who defined what evil was, a God who did hate wickedness, God who did punish evildoers and rewarded those who tried to do the right thing, but also a God who was loving and patient, just as he was with David, even in David's great sins that he committed. A loving, patient God. Look at Psalm 19, verses 11, 12, and 13. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern errors? Equip me from hidden faults. 
Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. You see, um, there's something about God's written word that changes people. If we take the Bible seriously, it makes us better people. It transforms us, right? It makes us into, uh, into what God intended us to be. We begin to live in this life uh, with the grain of the God's wood, the way he intended us to live. We're using it properly. We're using our lives and our bodies properly. God loves us so much that he's given us a tool to transform us. Just as an illustration of this, there was a, a story I read about a major battle in World War II, the battle for Okinawa. Okinawa uh, is about 700 miles south of Japan. And man, the Allies, we fought hard to take that island because it was close enough to Japan to establish an air base that would be within easy reach uh, to, of the enemy homeland. We could just you know, fly our planes over there and continue fighting that war to bring them to Neil. It was a terrible fight. We lost thousands. They lost the, uh, thousands as well in the struggle for that island, but we succeeded. It, the, the success was never really in doubt. But as we took the island, a lot of those uh, Japanese who lived there uh, believed in a lie that was being propagated by the military that, the, that we were vicious conquerors, that we would mercilessly kill them uh, and their children and their wives in a horrible ways. And so when they saw these uh, soldiers, the American soldiers, coming down the road to their little towns as we were mopping up, you know, just making sure we got all the armies out of there or the, the enemy out of there, they saw us coming. They would just kill themselves, everyone in the town. Could you imagine how horrible that must have been for those soldiers? Every time they would come close to the town, the whole town would kill themselves. It was rough. It was hard. And that's what they were dealing with. And then there was this one time they were, you know, doing their, taking their orders. They were going to this town. They saw two old men coming out of the town. They were scared. Oh, what are these guys going to do? Are they going to kill themselves in front of us or something? They come running up, but they look happy. They fell down on their knees, not to worship, but they fell on their knees, and they were just talking, talking, talking in Japanese, and there was an interpreter trying to keep up. These two men were clutching Bibles, and they were so excited to see Americans coming to their town. They brought them into the town, and they showed them all the stuff that they had, you know, and all the, all the things that were going on, and... It was the, the mayor and the school teacher that had come out there to, to greet them. It was dumbfounding. And so the correspondent who filed the report said, we'd seen other Okinawan villages uh, uniformly down at the hills despairing. By contrast, this one shone like a diamond in a dung heap. This is a quote. Proudly, these two old men showed us their spotless homes, their fertile terrace fields, their stone houses and granaries, and their prized sugar meal. You see, what, what happened was they, this village, they'd only ever seen one American before, 30 years before uh, this, this war. An American missionary, he was on his way to Japan, had paused at their village. He stayed only long enough to make a pair of converts, the same two men, that school teacher and mayor, and he taught them a couple of hymns, uh, uh, leaving them a Japanese translation of the Bible, and he exhorted them to live by it. They had no contact with any other Christian 
since. However, during those 30 years, they picked their way through the Bible. They adopted the Ten Commandments as their legal code. The Sermon on the Mount as their guide to social conduct. In their school, the Bible was the chief literature. It was read daily by all the students, and major passages were memorized. In this village, the precepts of the Bible were law. Later, that correspondent and his driver returned to the village. They took part in their worship service. The villagers only knew two songs, apparently. It was a fairest Lord Jesus and all held the power of Jesus' name. And uh, the hymns had suffered some changes, but they were recognizable. And the worship was powerful. And when the service was over, the driver, this is from the story, the driver leaned over and said, So this is what comes out of only a Bible and a couple of old men who wanted to live like Jesus. It was a simple worship service. No mechanical instruments, nothing like that. Just a worship and praise of the Lord. It changed their lives. And they loved it. And they loved sharing it. They loved being part of it. And it was simple. How awesome was that? You know, that's, that's the Bible. It's the power of God. As Paul says for in Romans chapter 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For everyone. All mankind. That is what David saw. He knew the power of God's written word to transform and to improve the lives of those who would listen to God. And in that truth, David realized that God believed in us. God had not given up on us. And God believed that we could be better than what we've been. One more thing. As much as David understood the love of God, there was one thing that David did not know about God's love. I think he had some inklings, I think. But he didn't know the full truth as we do from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did something in sending His Son that the stars could never begin to describe for us. The stars may be beautiful, but they're way up there, above us. We don't know very much about them. They can seem cold and impersonal. But when God gave His Son, that is something else. Jesus loves you and me. He loves us the way we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. See, I love my children. I love my children. I can't describe it. Before I had kids, I knew parents loved their kids, but I did not understand until I had my own. I love my kids. I love them. 
but I love them too much to let them do some of the things they do and want to do. I don't let them throw tantrum tantrums and flail on the floor and, and uh, disrespect me or their mother. I don't let them eat candy all day and all night. Those things that are not good for them. I love them too much to let them do those things that they want to do. I teach them what is right, what is wrong. And Jesus loves us too much to let us be little children and run amok. And so he showed us the way. He came to this earth and he lived this life the way we ought to live. But he knows we can't do it. Oh, we've tried and we just can't do it. We cannot live a life like he did. And he knows that. And so he's helping us out. He's saying, look, do the best you can. I want you to be a 10, but I know you can't be a 10. But do the best you can. If you can give me an 8, I will give you the last 2. If you can only give me a 5, I will give you the last 5. If you can only give me a 1, I will give you 9. Do something. It's like the parable of the talents. You know, just whatever you can do. And that one last guy with the talent who didn't do anything with it, he said, you should have at least, the king said, you should have at least put it in the bank so that I may have incurred interest, even just a little bit. And another passage in the Bible, Jesus says, uh, you know, talking about these little ones, the immature in Christ, even a cup of cold water, just give it to them, even that. How hard is it to give a cup of cold water? It's not. Love them like I love you. And he loves us in spite of what we may have done in the past or how badly we may have messed up our lives. He loves us. And it was in God stepping down out of heaven and becoming a man that we understand just how much God loves us. What a blessing we have. Folks, read your Bibles. Bring it into your mind and into your heart. Get to know the Word of God. It is the power of salvation. Redeem the time. That's the name of our radio program from Ephesians 5. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity is what that means. Make the most. When God presents an opportunity to you, take advantage of it. But you can only see those opportunities if you know the mind and heart of God. If you're in the Bible, you'll be able to see it more and more as you mature in Christ and be more like Him. What a blessing we have. Let's not waste it away. Let's be ready always for the coming of the Lord. May the Lord bless you in this day, and may the Lord love you always. And may you also share that love He has shown you with all those around you. God bless. Bring the message out. Send it up to sweep away till Shaddam the better day. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's. Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.